Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Victory Lane's been a bit empty the past few weeks. Several weeks, one may say, but fear not. I am back from France. Bonjour. Uh, had a great time. Talk about it a little bit later, but... You guys have missed me, I know you have, and I have a good show for you today. We got Howie DeSavino third HD3, as I call him. It was good to chat with HD3. I had never spoken to him before, uh, but he was actually pitched to me, and I said, you know what? I'd like to learn a little bit more about this young man. I've heard him, I've seen him, I haven't spoken with him, and I haven't learned about him. And I'm sure that you guys are going to learn a thing or two about Howie as well in this chat. He's a very, very bright, kind, nice young man. And I'm sure that you guys will feel the same way after chatting with him here on the show. Before we do any of that, though, we got to throw it back in our way back segment to the number 60 and a name that I've heard of. But wait, Papa Siegel, where, where is this coming from? Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to the COVID couch for episode 160. The 50s were rough, but nothing compared to this stubborn virus that Mama Siegel and I have been fighting for the last week. We're both doing better, and let's hope the 60s are better than the 50s, though number 60 doesn't give us much to start with. 352 starts for the number. Its only win came in 1950 to Bill Rexford. Though he ran a total of only 36 races over a short five-year career, Rexford won the championship in 1950 over three big names, Curtis Turner, Fireball Roberts, and Lee Petty. Not too shabby, huh? It was a strange year. Petty should have been the runaway champion, but he was stripped of 800 points for running non-NASCAR-sanctioned races essentially taking the title away from him. We've spoken before about how Big Bill France and Lee Petty didn't always get along that well. Hmm. In addition to his one win, Rexford was consistent all year long, while Turner and Roberts were not. In the last race of the year, Rexford was holding a slim points lead over Roberts when his engine blowed up. All Roberts had to do was finish in the top five to win the prize, but he pushed on for the win, and his engine gave out with less than 50 laps to go. That gave the championship to Rexford, who at 23 was, and I think still is, the youngest cup champion in NASCAR history. Jeff Gordon won his first at 24, as did Chase Elliott, in case you're interested. That's all for this week, and I'll close with a public service announcement. Take it from Mama and Papa Siegel. COVID is no joke. Get vaccinated and boosted, and be safe out there. Kachiga. Back to you, Duve. 
<laughs> Thank you guys. Uh, I don't mean to laugh, but it's okay because they're both fine. You know, I've been checking in on them every single day. They're feeling better, but I echo the sentiments that Papa Siegel said. I had COVID a few months ago. So did Robin. It sucked. No joke. So if you aren't vaxxed, what are you doing? Figure it out. Get it. And uh, please continue to be vigilant. Keep yourself. Keep others safe. Um, my grandpa also got COVID and he is no spring chicken, but thankfully he is okay as well. So COVID running rampant in the seagull slash man households, but we're all good. We're on the mend and we are rocking and a rolling. So Papa Siegel, thank you for this week's way back segment from the COVID couch. I'm sure that you had a lot of time to look up everything and anything about Bill Rexford and mom. That was the saddest kachiga I have ever heard. I look forward to more fun kachigas in the future speaking of kachiga by the way before we uh start the show i'm recording this on september 5th you're listening to this after that but today's 9-5 it's lightning mcqueen day so ka-chow to all my homies out there happy lightning mcqueen day all right let's start off this episode as we always do with a good old-fashioned for the first time in like a month and throw it straight over to our interview with Alpha Prime Racing's Howie DiSavino III. Again, you may not know too much about HD3, but good news for you. This is the place you want to stay for the next 45 minutes or so to learn everything you want to know about the man, the myth, the legend, Howie DiSavino III. There is an HD2. There is an HD1, the OG, as we talked about. Howie's from Chesterfield, Virginia. And yes, I know you probably are thinking to yourself, wait, I think I know a NASCAR driver from Chesterfield. You do. It's Denny Hamlin. We talked about how he's upbringing in that state, in that city, running at places like Southside Speedway, RIP, Dominion, and the influence that Denny Hamlin kind of cast over that area, but also just a rich, rich short track environment. Howie, though, is a first-generation racer. His family does not come from a motorsports background. They don't come from a ton of money either. So they kind of learned trial by fire he's going to tell you about racing in arenas wait till you hear how quick these lap times were in the mini bristol indoors that he calls it in richmond it was insane to listen to also we talked about richmond raceway the trip that he took there as a little kid that kind of sparked his passion and was a catalyst for everything that has to do with nascar and auto racing plus of course we chat about his time in the arca menard series and the truck series running at Daytona for the first time last year at Las Vegas, where you guys may have heard his name for the first time as he ran at Las Vegas Motor Speedway shortly after losing his mother to a battle with cancer. But he ran valiantly and he so generously retold that story for us. And I think it's important for everybody to hear how impactful and how difficult that was for him to run, but why he chose to run that race. And also his future. He's racing this weekend at Kansas. That's why I wanted to have him on. But also he still is looking at things in the future, whether it's next year, two years from now, in the Xfinity Series full time, maybe eyeing the Cup Series. How is going to tell you what he sees shaking out for himself in his NASCAR career? I'll get out of the way and let you hear my chat with HD3, Howie Savino the third. Pleasure to welcome on to the show today, a man who I have, in fact, never spoken with. But I'm very excited to learn a lot more about the man that, I don't know if anybody calls you this, HD3, Howie DiSavino III, 
Is that a new nickname for you, or, or am I late to the game? Everyone's called me that before, so uh, oh, you're kind of late to the game on that one, but it's all good. Okay, HD three, you know DL three, Davis Love the third, whatever you need, right? I got. Do you golf at all? I do not. Well, there's a golf. Sometimes I do, Davis but not, Love. but not much. Okay, HD three. It's did somebody come up with it first? Is it just too simple to not call you HD three? Like, where did the origination of the nickname start? Um, you know, everyone would call my dad HD two, and so when I when I was born, everyone started calling me HD three or little Howie. So, um, with that being said, you know, it, it's kind of always been a nickname of mine. Um, but you know, all my buddies, you know, they just usually do they do that as well. So it's not really a, a it's pretty common. So your dad's HD2. I guess your grandfather would be HD1, but nobody called him HD1. He was just HD. He was just the original one. The OG HD. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I love it. All right, well, what what is this time of year like for you right now? I mean, I know you're getting prepped for Kansas in the Xfinity card, but in the meantime, how do you fill the gaps in time of when you're behind the wheel of a race car, be it in the Xfinity series, in the ARCA series, and at a local short track, what are you doing to fill your free time when you're not behind the wheel right now? Yeah. So, uh, mainly I just focus on training for my next race. Um, with me only running about six races a year, uh, I have a lot of downtime. So with that being said, you know, I, I will go home for maybe a week or whatnot, but I, I mainly stay down here, uh, mountain bike train, uh, go to the shop, see the guys, uh, work on, um, partnerships for next year. Uh, so I, I have a lot, to do uh, behind the scenes as well uh, than, than just, you know, showing up on race day and, and going fast. Yeah. So when you say I would go home, home is up in Chesterfield, correct? Chesterfield, Virginia. So uh, I think that there's this one driver that, you know, is pretty successful in Cup that uh, may have hailed from the same place. I'm curious if Mr. Hamlin had any influence on you whatsoever in terms of getting into racing or once you were into it, if he was kind of a an idol figure for you? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, we've always known about Denny Hamlin. He grew, he grew up about two miles away from where I, where I grew up. So, uh, with that being said, I mean, I took every step that he basically took going coming up through the ranks. Uh, I had the same late model crew chief that he had, um, you know, and, and so uh, pretty much everything that, that, that we did was the exact same steps that he took. Uh, I really wanted to say that, you know, he was my big idol, but, you know, I, I definitely did look up to him um, just based off of, you know, how, how he came up and, and, and where he came up from. So uh, a lot of respect towards him. Uh, but my idol growing up was more of Dale Jr. So uh, it, it was kind of one of those deals where when they did come to Richmond, you know, I was, I was a Hamlin fan and also Dale Jr. Right, right. Have you gotten to meet Dale Jr. yet? I know in the Xfinity series, he's got a handful of cars out there, but he's a little busy in the booth as well. Have you gotten the chance to cross paths with him yet? Yeah, I mean, I, I met him when I was eight years old. He signed a hat of mine, so uh, that was pretty neat. And uh, and then, you know, I raced, I raced against him at Martinsville this year. So, That's right. Uh, that, That's right. That, that was pretty neat. It was, it was pretty cool because I, I out-qualified him. And, uh, <laughs> and so that was a pretty big accomplishment for me. <laughs> Eight-year-old Howie's probably – absolutely going nuts he's like i just out qualified my guy and there you are racing against him door to door that had to be a pinch me moment i'm sure oh exactly yeah i mean he he was on the outside of me for uh for a few laps and, and it was just such a surreal moment you know yeah. uh because that's just someone that you know you always grew up 
looking looking up to and and uh, and to race against him was was pretty awesome. So I'm curious because you know a lot of guys and drivers that are your age, right? They grew up watching guys that are kind of towards the tail end of their careers now, be it. You know, Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Kurt Busch, Dale Jr., for example, Jimmy Johnson, right? When you get the chance to interact with them as adults or young men like you are right now in a racing environment, do you have mm-hmm. to kind of restrain yourself to not fanboy or fangirl out? Or are you like, all right, I'm good. You know, I'm here for business. Let's take care of it. Let's just say hello and, and go on our merry way. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Yeah, I mean... uh, I think I, I take it the, the mature way, you know, that I definitely would be like, you know, when I growing up, I was a big fan, you know, this and that funny story, you know, you saw me when I was eight years old, but then again, you know, I realized that their time is so precious as well. Um, you know, even at, at Martinsville, I didn't even have a chance. I didn't even get a chance to say, uh, Hey to him because, you know, everyone was saying, Hey, Dale, sign this, sign this. And he had, and he has daughter in his hand and, and you know, he's, he's sitting here signing everything. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to leave him alone. Not, you know, uh, it would be cool to introduce myself, but, you know, yeah. at, at the same point in time, it, it's one of those deals where I, I understand that there are a lot of fans um, that are attracted towards them. So, um, yeah. so you know, I, I didn't want to be in that mix, you know, in a racing suit and go, hey, I want to introduce myself. I'm Howie, you know. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, I, I don't really show up as, as a fanboy. I, I, it's more of, you know, hey, you know, I'm just going to race against you today and you're my idol. So, yeah, no, I got you. All right. Going back a little bit again, we mentioned Chesterfield. That's kind of where it all started for you. And uh, research shows that you grew up on the family farm, quickly got interested in anything motorized, two wheels, four wheels, one wheel, six wheels, whatever it is, you had an interest in it. And from there, things just kind of spiraled and got bigger and bigger. And your passion for racing and motorized vehicles started from helping on the family farm, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. That's that's correct. Uh, I've driven tractors, you know, everything, uh, four wheelers, uh, dirt bikes, uh, RZR side by sides, uh, you know, uh, pretty much anything that you could think about. I'll probably driven. So um, just one of those those deals to where, you know, when I was four years old, I mean, I, I was out there with my dad working on the farm. So um, we had a, we had to drive heavy equipment a lot. So uh, just one of those deals where, you know, I've always known how to control something. And I also read that you made one of those trips, like you mentioned, to Richmond Raceway when you were a wee little lad. And that was one of, if not the catalyst of sorts for your NASCAR and stock car and motorsports passion. Can you take me mm-hmm. back to that time where you went to Richmond and you realized, all right, I, this is pretty cool. I don't know how to do it, but I want to be a part of it. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, growing up, you know, my, my family wasn't really into the NASCAR world. Uh, my dad really didn't watch NASCAR. He didn't really watch any sports as it is. Um, so with that being said, you know, I, I started watching NASCAR a little bit. So, hey, you know, I really want to go to Richmond. And, and we bought tickets for, you know, the three days before. And um, and we got like these, uh, I, I thought they were stellar tickets because it was in the fourth row until you got pelted in the face with uh, rubber. But uh, That's pretty stellar to me. I'll take it. And, well, for me, I was having a blast. My dad was, was sitting there. He was like, wow, you know, uh, getting hit in the face constantly. But you know, with that being said, you know, uh, we showed up at 7 a.m. for a 7 p.m. race and I saw these little arena cars uh, like many like many stocks in a way. And and that, and I told that, I said, yeah, I'm going to restart in that. And he was like, yeah, buddy, you know, we'll see. And I told him that day, I said, I'm going to be a NASCAR driver when I when I grow up. We always share that story because it's so ironic um, to to really, you know, look back, you know, when I was eight years old 
and then you know 21 now and, and we're in the xfinity series so um crazy how how things can change in such a in such a short, short amount of time you mentioned arena racing i'm showing my ignorance here because i i know about a lot of different forms of racing i've heard of mm -hmm. arena racing and on mm -hmm. the surface i think i know what it is but for people like me that are a bit uneducated on that specific discipline dumb it down for me and tell me what arena racing at its core is yeah, so it's it's basically just a mini cup car, a bandolero, if you if you will, uh, and uh, it, it's just this steel track that has rubber laid down on it, and it was in the Richmond Coliseum, only in the Richmond Coliseum. Sounds bad. And uh, and I mean, we would go around there, uh, give or take. That it was like a mini Bristol. It, it was awesome, Ooh. and uh, we we would get around that track, you know, seven point nine seconds, and I mean, we were hauling it around there. Man. 7.9. I'll tell you, on the outside, on the outside, you can hold it wide open and it, and it will stick. You wouldn't think it would, but it, it will stick wide open on the outside. I take it you know that from experience. I've had to do it a few times. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I guess, a form of racing that younger kids do to acclimate themselves to racing craft and just motorized vehicles in general. Why did you guys, you and your dad specifically, decide to go down the arena racing route compared to Bandoleros or anything on dirt? There's a lot of tracks around you guys in Chesterfield. Why would you go down the arena racing route? I feel like that's a bit unorthodox. Well, we really didn't know anything about racing. So when it presented itself, you know, it's during the winter. It's in the Coliseum, so it's warm. Uh, I mean, give or take. I mean, it, it, it was super fun, you know. And uh, with that, on top of that, you know, you mentioned for kids to be driving. I mean, there were there were 50 year old men that, that were racing in these cars. Oh, really? You know, okay. we, we, we we had a youth class and that's eight through 13 and, and 14 and up. You're in the pro class. So uh, I've, I've raced against a lot of, you know, heavy hitters, you know, in, in that sport. Uh, well, in that in that league, you know, and um and they've raced late models. They've raced K and N series, and, and, and they raced them. Uh, like Justin Carroll, uh, mm -hmm. he he races late models down in Langley right now, and he 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 has a truck team and also um, an ARCA team. You know, he he raced in it for about three races and did pretty good as well. Okay, so once you graduate of sorts from arena racing, I think that late models be at Southside, Dominion, different tracks in that Chesterfield. Virginia area came next. Was that just kind of the next logical step for you in your racing development to, to get behind the wheel of some late models and wheel those things around? Oh no, that was the dumbest step of our career. Honestly. I mean, uh, you, you go from 22 horsepower engines to 450, you know, and, and I'm a kid that's 14 years old. Now I started, I started when I was 13. So I only had two years of experience from arena racing and we hopped in a, a, a way bigger car, you know, a full, a full size car. And, and, and we had a, the first year it, it wasn't the best car and and we were just learning the, the second year we had a somewhat competitive car and that's really when we really started to uh beat and bang with other cars and then the third car that we had i've really started to get good at south side and, and we built a brand new late model stock car uh torp chassis car um and we we've led laps we came second in points uh with zero wins so you know it it, it was uh so we so we got really good in it after the third year but you know, logically, it would you wouldn't think that I, that you would jump from a bandolero basically to a late model. That just doesn't make sense. 
Right. Okay. So I guess in hindsight, what would have been the next best logical step for you guys to take from arena racing? What would, what would have been next? I mean, we could have done a legend car or a, uh, a grand stock, you know, something, something just to learn on more, uh, honestly, but, but, but we just, we just said, you know what, if, if we want to make it to NASCAR, we need to, uh, hurry up this process. So three into the fire, I bet. Exactly. Well, you learned pretty well on the job. Like you said, you finished second in points at Southside that year, um, racing mm -hmm. at Dominion, Southside. I mean, those are pretty historic tracks nationwide. I mean, obviously, they're local to you, and a lot of people in the industry know about those places mm -hmm. for good reason. But now, kind of looking back and having that perspective, you're 21 now, you were 14, 15, 16 years old then. I'm sure back then you didn't really know how – historic and hallowed grounds those racetracks were when you were on them but now looking back you can say hey i raced at Southside. i i ran well at these places and that has to be a point of pride for you as well i presume oh for sure you know uh with, with Southside, it actually shut down so that that's not that's not a it, it, it and you know you don't really learn how much it means to people until it's gone mm -hmm. and um you know, it, it's just, it's, it's crazy because, you know, they, it's so historical, you know, with, uh, Denny Hamlin grew up there at South race and South side. You have Chris Dotson, the eight time late model champion, you know, he has over a hundred wins, uh, that you have Eddie Johnson, you know, all the, all these big time names that, you know, have raced late models all over. Uh, it, it's just crazy to, to see it go away. And then you really learn all of, all about the, the, the history yeah. there. What was uh when you found out it was it was shutting down? What were the emotions that you had? I was racing. Uh, I believe I was racing Arca and trucks at that at that uh, time, and um, you know a lot of people were they they, they were they were like, hey Howie, like why don't why don't you come to the um, to the council meeting and blah 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 and talk and, and this and that and, and right at this time when they, when they were having it, my mother passed away. So I was, I was like, guys, you know, I got a lot of stuff going on right now. I really can't, can't show up, but, but they, but they thought that either maybe I would have a, a, a voice of, of opinion, but uh, I mean, it was sad. I mean, it, it's sad to see it go, but you know, at the same point in time, there, there's nothing that you can do, especially when the County already bought the property you can only do it but so much. A petition is, is only going to do but so much. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, that was a tough pill to swallow. Cause you know, that was my home track. Uh, that was, that was the place where, you know, I, where my good runs happened and, and, you know, history for me started. So, uh, I mean, it, it was definitely sad, sad, sad to see it go. And, um, man, I mean, it was just such a fun track because it was, it was called the short, uh, the toughest short track in the South. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it was pretty tough. So I believe it. So let's fast forward a handful of years to the summer of 2019, I believe it was. That's when you made your Arkham debut at Elko. Lots leading up to that, I presume, going all the way back to the arena racing, to late models, trying to scratch and claw and get together sponsorship funds and deals and building your own stuff and working day and night to refine your craft. And I know it's not a national series at that point, but Arca still, for, for somebody like you on that level, that's a big deal to finally make your debut there. Lots leading mm -hmm. up to it. It must have been a wild day. I'm sure that the race itself was wild too. What do you remember about that race leading up to that day and the day itself? Yeah, you know, uh, 
So that that was that that was crazy because we because we told a lot of people a lot of people in the racing world about it and and, and I got a lot of backlash from it. They're like, yeah, I don't think you're ready for it. I think you need another season of late models and this and that. So people that we looked up to and we're like, you know what, we're we've tested one at Hickory, you know, we're 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 gonna go. So we we showed up and uh, you know there was a lot of people that were that were proud of me, you know, just just for showing up and and I mean we went through practice and I was like, man, this car has a lot of power a lot of power here and um qualifying efforts i mean i i think that there was like 21 cars that showed up i qualified 13th and um i mean just wild race 250 laps we went 110 laps straight green and then we had Oof. and then we had a caution so that so that's the longest i've ever gone green straight because you know we did twin 60s or we did right. twin 40s or something like By that far, so yeah Longest race of of my career was this night, and two weeks before I had my other longest race was 125 laps cars tour at Dominion. So I'm doubling the cars tour race. Mm-hmm. So I I mean I'm drinking water like crazy. I'm trying to figure out how to how to you know not get dehydrated, don't fall of the sea because you only get one day view and. Um, Coming to the checkered flag, Christian Eckes, he got spun out, sitting 11th, and I passed him for for 10th on the lead lap. And it was just such a crazy – It was yeah, my first top 10, first ARCA race on the lead lap. You know, I went two laps down. I got the lucky dog twice, and I was able to get back on the, on the lead lap. And next thing you know, uh, we're, we just we just made a, a top 10 finish. Um, so the, the feelings after that was just so – so you know crazy and that was awesome my, my whole family came to watch that as well so uh that was that was a pretty neat you know that was a pretty neat experience for sure uh but it was very fast paced i mean we went from you know practice to practice to practice qualifying and then straight to the race right. so the whole day i felt like i was just sitting in the race car didn't have have time to hydrate at all it wasn't like a late model race where you're just yeah. sitting there wa- watching other cars going through practice Big adjustment, I'm sure, from driving the car's sake, it's different. Adjusting to the culture is different. The people you're racing around, I'm sure that there are some familiar names and faces, but for the most part, different. The track, presumably somewhere you haven't really ever raced competitively before, different. So you're getting a lot of stuff thrown at you at once. To come out with a top 10, that had to be one of, if not the biggest accomplishment of your career to that point, I'm sure. And to have your family there, that must have been cool, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, you know, two weeks before we came 12th in the cars tour out of 22, you know, and, and, and I, I raced late models, you know, my, my whole life basically. And then we go to Arca race and we have 21 cars and we finished top 10, you know, that, that was a, that was such a surreal moment. And it was a, uh, I mean, that was my first professional race. So I'm like, all right, let's, let's go somewhere else now. Let's figure like it out. Officially a professional. Come at me, baby. HD three at your service. <laughs> That's right. So a couple years later, maybe it was the next year. I'm not really sure about the timeline, but I know that you did run at Daytona in the ARCA series. And then you also wound up running in the truck series. But before you get up there, Daytona in and of itself is a big, big beast. That That is a tough track to conquer. It's tough to just get the cojones to get on out there, get on the banking, join the draft. What were the first laps like at speed for you at the World Center of Racing? Yeah, you know, my crew chief, 
you know, we were having a conversation the day before, and his name, <laughs> Jamie Jones, that that was my crew chief for 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 the Wintron th- uh, 32 car. And um, he was like, look, man, you know, he was like, you know, a lot of people on the first lap, they, they won't hold it wide open. He said, yeah, and it's okay. He, he was like, cause, cause you know, we have the computers and whatnot. We can, we can tell you that you're not holding it wide open. Just, just go out there and do your best. I said, Jamie, I said, I promise you, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to hold it wide open. And he was like, all right, well, we'll see. He said, I'm, I'm going to hold you to it. And um, first laps, he's like, run against, he was like, run against the wall. So first laps out there, I'm wide open. I'm, I'm just against the wall. My, and my head is just shaking. My body is just pushed down in, in the seat. I'm like, all right. And so uh, we did a five, we, we did like a five lap run. <laughs> and as soon as I, I got in, I got out, I stretched. I said, man, I feel shorter, you know, just because of all the, the pressure that was on my body. And then Jamie, he hooked up, the Ilmore guys hooked up the computer. And I, and I walked up to Jamie and said, hey, Jamie, did I hold it wide open or what? He said, no, you definitely did. I said, all right. Well, I just want to make sure. And then we got back in, in the car and we went out there, made probably three more single car runs. And then we start, we started to, to draft with each other. And I, I was with some pretty big names, you know, Brent, Brent Holmes, you know, Ty Gibbs. And uh, I was like, all right, these guys are, you know, fast. And uh, I couldn't understand how to hold the, the draft at all because the car just goes side to side to side. Now I was trying to correct it. And so Ty Gibbs, he actually came up and, in the, in the hauler and he gave me a few pointers and I went back out there, followed him and, and, and I, I took his pointers and, and we were, we were fast, you know, we, I, I think we ended up P eight uh, during the practice. So I, I, I was pretty happy about that. And then we get to the race, you know, we didn't have a good qualifying effort started like 25th. And when like the caution came out, you know, I already had nose damage from the start because everyone checked up. And, uh, and so I was like, all right. And, uh, and then we had, uh, we had a good run and we were setting P eight with 15 to go. And then as soon as that caution came out, something happened and, and my left rear went down going into turn one. And I was like, man, we're P eight right now. Like we have a shot. So go into the pits, they jack it up, they put a tire on and go back out starting 27, 15 to go. So at this point, you know, I'm, I'm angry. I'm just ready. To, I'm ready to go. And, uh, I mean, we, we fought and, and, and we clawed our way up to a, I believe it was 13th place finish. And with 15 to go and 15 laps there, I know to the people watching on TV, it seems like a long time. It's not long at all. <laughs> so it's, it, it was, it was fun. Then we had a green white checker too. So I, Yep, yeah, we had a green white checkered, and I was like, "Look, guys, I was like, either we're gonna be in one or, or we're starting one. I don't know which one's gonna be, but but I'm, I'm on them. I'm, I'll be on uh-huh. them." So uh, that was that was a good kickoff to the season. Was was to have that confidence booster, you know, starting 25th, making our way up to eighth, you know, all the way back to 27th, and then worked our way back up to 13th place. Okay, so what's a bigger pucker factor? 7.9 seconds around the uh, arena track in Richmond or holding it wide open for the first time around the high banks of Daytona? Oh, 100% Daytona. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's tough, but same point in time. I mean, you know, uh, arena racing, I mean, there was a few pucker-up moments, but uh, <laughs> I would have to say holding it wide open and, and knowing that you're going 180 and At just least. knowing that. 
I mean, because if, if you really just like look, it looks slow, but then you just see all the poles right here, just going right past you. Like, okay, yeah, I, I now see why we're going 180. <laughs> I now see why. Yes, I'm sure he did. So I mentioned the truck series. I think uh, if I have my stats right, you made your debut at Richmond, a track that obviously has a lot of meaning to you there. That must have been uh, emotionally, professionally, personally, a big, big day, a big moment, a big race for you, being able to do it at your home track. And I'm sure you had your friends, your family cheering you on. That must have been a really, really big day for you. Yeah, that was a huge day for us. Um, you know, that first truck debut, we finally made it into the NASCAR top three ranks. You know, that that's huge for us on top of that home track. And so it, it doesn't get much better than, than, than that. That race was a race just by itself. I mean, it, it was I mean, we had everything bad happen to us that should not have happened to us. So um, but we finished the race. That's all that matters to me is that we finished the race. Um, you know, power steering went out with like 50 laps to go. So after the race, I mean, you know, I was I was torn up, but but they're like, do you want to pull behind the wall and we'll stop this race? I said, no, man, there's no way I'm stopping this race. Either I'm going to wheel and deal or something's going to happen. I don't know which one it is going to be. Yet. <laughs> I'm sure. So somebody who I think has been pretty instrumental in your racing career is somebody that a lot of people may know, but they may not have heard of him for a while. His name's Austin Terrio. Obviously, was in the BKR fold with Brad Keselowski. Had a lot of success in the Arkham Menard series. And I was surprised to see his name linked to you in terms of helping develop you and your racing career professionally. When did that relationship start between you and Austin? How'd you guys meet? It's a crazy story. You know, uh, Myrtle Beach Speedway. We were down there and we were going to run. Uh, we were going to run the big race there. Right. And um and late models and so you know i i go out for qualifying and, and austin's there but i did not know that he was there or anything like like that and i go out there and, and my crew chief said hey man drive it in the in the corner hard so me being the guy i am i drove it in five car lengths too deep almost trashed my car but luckily i didn't so we qualified 55th out of 60. Oof. and so uh, next thing, so I pull in in the pits. I'm I'm just angry with with myself. I'm sitting on the on the door, and and and, down, and my dad walked up. He said, "Hey, man, it, it's all good." I'm like, "Dude, nah, it really isn't. Like, we we really just screwed that up. We have to race our way in now." So um, Austin sat there. He's like, "Yeah, you know, it's it's happened to me a, a, a few times." And, and my first, you know, impression, I was like, "Who the hell is this guy?" Right? Because I I wasn't you know expecting you know just some guys sitting on the wall to make a comment and so i did not know that he that, that he was a race car driver or anything like like that i knew austin terrio but i didn't but he never mentioned that his name was austin terrio so he gives me a business card or whatever he hits me up like dms me and i look through his stuff and uh sure enough that whole year i watched him race arca and watched him win the championship so I was like, wow, that's pretty neat. And then so next thing you know, you know, he 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 takes a trip to Virginia to my house and, and he talks about, you know, hey, you know, I want to take y'all to the next step. Um, and so at, since that day, we, we've been signed with him and he's been managing my whole career. Very cool. So it started as a bad day at Myrtle Beach. Some guy that's trying to make you feel better and you wanted no part of it. 
And now he's turned into one of, if not the most influential people to help you get to where you want to go. That is a crazy story. Exactly. No, it is. It's, it's, it's crazy because, you know, you, you wouldn't expect that at all. You know, uh, just someone to, to see you. And, and then finally, you know, all the hard work finally paid off, even though we botched <laughs> qualifying, you know? Um, so it, it was, it was, a, it was a good day for us uh, yeah. to, to, to meet Austin and get to know him a little more. Um, so it, it was, it was pretty awesome for that to happen. You think he can still get it done behind the wheel? Cause I think he can. Awesome. Oh, for sure. I know that he could. I know he's still got a lot left. I know it. Oh, I know. I know he does. I know he does. He, uh, he, I mean, he's, he's been a wheel man for a long time. So, uh, he, he definitely has talent. You going to egg him on to get back behind the wheel sometime soon. I want to see it. I've already, I've already tried. I've tried. You, I mean, you, you, you might have to take it up with him now. Okay. I'll do what I got to do. Um, <laughs> so last year, um, I know that it was a, it was a big year. It was an important year, emotional year, obviously a lot of people that follow NASCAR in the national series, trucks, Xfinity cup, they may not have been too familiar with your name, but a lot mm-hmm. of people I'm sure became very familiar with your name around the Las Vegas motor speedway time, uh, last year. That was when, you know, we unfortunately lost your mom. You elected to race that weekend in Vegas. And I don't remember all the quotes and circumstances around it back at the time, but I do remember, you know, essentially the prevailing thing that you kept saying was she would want me to race. She, she would want me to do yep. this. And if mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, she'd be yelling at me for it. I'm just curious now, looking back on that, how hard was it to strap in the car? for you yeah you know it, september right is is a hard month for me right like you know in today's the, the third or fourth and my mom passed away the 18th so we're so we're coming up on it on a year right now and you know uh i mean strapping into the car you know it, it was very emotional because i had her riding on on my uh, passenger side door um that 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 race right there did not go as planned as well. Uh, blew out two tires. Um, but we finished the race. <laughs> so uh, that was a hard, that was a super hard uh, race for me to run. Uh, but on, on top of that, you know, it, it was one of those deals to where when she was in her dying moments, I I, I mean, I, I asked her, I said, do you want me to go run Bristol? Or do you want me to go run Vegas? And and she, and she told me, she said, yes, of course I do. So, you know, I, I was down here. We just ran. Uh, we just ran Bristol, and Vegas was the next week, and and we raced Bristol on Thursday, Friday. You know, I was down here working with the truck team. Saturday, same thing, and and my dad called me at five, and he said, and he didn't even say a word. He just, I just heard him crying, and he said, "Your mother passed away." So I got you. And I went up to Virginia that that night and spent time with the family, and then we were flying out to Vegas the next weekend. So um, yeah, that was. That 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 really was one of those deals, and I I didn't even know that I was going to be on broadcast either about it, you know. And and so I I mean my phone was blowing up, and uh, people were sending me the video, and and all my buddies were like, dude, like that was crazy. And I was and I was like, what video are you talking about? Like I have no clue. And then um, you know, and then I finally I went on Facebook and I saw it. I said, oh, that video. Now now I understand. So. Right. Um, I do keep that video because that that's a very inspirational video to me. Looking back on it, are you glad that you raced? 
You know, it, I'll look at it from every aspect. Um, if I didn't race, I could be there for my family because that was the most hurtful thing was I, I took care of my mom for about three years uh, before I moved down here. And uh, so if I if I did not race Bristol and then I would have been there when, when, when she passed away. But with her, I think that she knew that, you know, I, I had I had a job to do. And I had to go to Bristol and I had to go to Vegas. And I, I think that that was her letting, letting go and saying, you know, you, you, you got, you, you got this. And she, uh, and, and I don't really know what to say, you know, I mean, she, she, she would want me to race it no matter what. So. I hear you. Well, you're doing great things now. Among them is you're raising money for childhood cancer research. I know you do some work with disabled veterans you're a busy guy as it is. You're trying to scratch and claw and get some funding and run these Xfinity races and stuff. How do you find the time to give back to multiple communities like this? It's very admirable. Yeah. So, you know, one of my great partners, uh, he, he knows this one family very, very well that, that raises money for childhood cancer because unfortunately the, the girl that started it, she had childhood, she had childhood cancer. So, um, with that being said, every meet and greet, we give we give a proceed of, of what we make to them, and, and so does Q's Barbecue. So um, it it I raise money in that way. We take uh, we take uh, wounded veterans out on hunts. You know, I'm a very very big whitetail hunter, and that's one thing that you know I I love to do during during the winter is go up to Virginia and hunt. So uh, that that's really neat to you know hear stories from from them and and talk to them for a few minutes before we go out in the woods. We set them up. Uh, we, we run dogs their way to try to get them to shoot a deer. So, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty awesome as well. So, uh, it kind of all fits in, you know, it's not like, um, it's not like, you know, it's like a hassle at all. You know, it's, it's just more of, you know, we, we want to give back to the community whenever we can. Right. And I mean, a lot of drivers that, you know, are big time cup drivers, they can afford to start foundations and give back to the community in in different ways. They say that that stuff does truly recharge them and give them, you know, a lot of significance. I'm sure you probably feel the same way on, on a smaller scale, but the things that you're doing are not small. These are big, big deals. And you're giving back to so many people. And I'm sure that you understand the gravity of it now, but this is going to be, you know, a big part of your legacy that you leave, if not bigger than what you do on the racetrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I mean, you know, any, any way, shape, form that I, I could give back to my community to, uh, Chesterfield County to, you know, anything that, you know, strikes the heart, right. Um, that's what I'm going to do, you know, uh, especially with my mother having cancer, you know, childhood cancer, that's even, I mean, that's worse, man. I mean, for children to, so that's why, you know, man, I, I, I try my, I try to do everything that I can to help out any organization possible, um, you know, raise money for them or, or anything. So, uh, very, very big part of my life. Definitely. So you said hunting. I know that you're a big hunter. You do that in the winter. What about Howie off the track? What are some other hobbies that you have? I know you like to eye race and your, your life does kind of revolve around racing as is customary mm-hmm. for people your age and your position. But besides hunting and racing, what do you like to do in your free time? What can the fans relate to you about? Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm just your average country boy. You know, uh, I wear <laughs> boots every day. You know, I wear I wear jeans and boots every day. Uh, you know, I love working on farms. You know that that's what I grew up doing. So whenever I do get a chance to go home, that's what I do. I farm. 
Um, on top of that, you know, I, I love the fish. Uh, working out's huge. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't even do it for the racing aspect. I do it more, more for myself. I, I just love to work out. Um, you know, I, I'm just very, I'm just a simple man. That, that that's the only way that I, I can explain. It. You know, I'll drink beer on the weekends and um, you know, work out during, during the weekdays. You are a simple man. Working out and beer, that's all you need to be successful, I think. That's all I need, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's get back to Alpha Prime Racing in Kansas this weekend. Tommy Joe Martins has obviously had a vision for this race team for years and years and years. Stepped out of the driver's seat full-time this year to help make that dream and that vision become reality, and he's well on his way to doing that. When did you first make contact with Tommy Joe? How did you guys get together and then... How did the relationship then progress into having some part-time deals for you to race the car? Yeah, so uh, Austin, he he introduced us, and um, and Austin, like I said, he takes care of everything for me. So Austin, he he said, hey, you know, I I think that this is a very good opportunity for you. It's a good car, you know, you'll be able to per- perform good, and you'll be able to go to many tracks to, this year. Um, so I, I met Tommy, uh, one time and then we, we were kind of talking a little bit about, you know, races and, and, and whatnot. And then, uh, Austin called me and said, Hey, you know, I think that, that, that we should go with Alpha Prime. I said, all right, sounds good. So we, uh, so we signed with, with, with Tommy. I, I, I drove down on a Thursday, signed a contract with him that Thursday. And then, uh, we went off racing. Same day, pen to paper. That's right. Wow. You must have really liked them. They must have really liked you. A harmonious relationship. Why not get it done? I guess. Exactly. I mean, it, I, well, I, I mean, we met them, you know, uh, before, like probably around December, and then mm-hmm. January, almost February. I mean, it was time for us to make a decision. Yeah. So I uh, and I and I kind of told Austin. I said, "Hey, I said, you know, a lot of seats are filling up, so we need to figure out what where we're going." And, uh, and he, he, he said, Hey, this is the best opportunity that we have right now. So let's, let's go after it. So I said, all right. So you've been in the car a handful of races this year already. I know Kansas is going to be your next challenge ahead. How would you rate your success and your performance so far this year? I know there's obviously room for improvement for any race car driver, but different teams and different drivers hold themselves to different standards. What would you, uh, what would, what grade would you give yourself so far this year? You know, I'll probably give myself a C. I, I feel like that we've had a lot of growing pains, uh, you know, with Richmond. I mean, you know, I, I completely messed up qualifying there, didn't even qualify in at my home track, you know. Um, and then the Martinsville, you know, stellar qualifying lap there. Sa- same exact car. Just, you know, we slept on a, a different number and ran really good there. Um, and then we had a, uh, a drive shaft blow up, but we were making our way up. And then, you know, Loudon, you know, that, that came up and we qualified not that good, but we, it was decent and we finished 17th. So first top 20 in NASCAR. Um, so I, I would say, you know, it, it varies. Um, the, the, the hardest thing is, you know, we don't get much, much practice. And for a rookie right. like myself, you know, I'm in such a competitive series um, and only get 20 minutes of practice. Most of these guys have been to these tracks, you know, multiple times whether in trucks cup or whatever so um it's it's definitely hard how do you get that practice time that you need it be it i racing i don't know if you have access to the chevrolet simulator i mean how do you 
how do you get the information that you need besides that 20 minute session? Because that's just scratching the surface as we know. I mean, do you lean on Tommy Joe? Do you lean on Austin? What do you do to kind of get that information you need? Yeah. I mean, I, I lean on a lot of people, you know, I, I racing for sure. Um, I don't, I, I don't get time in, in the Chevy, uh, in the Chevy performance. Um, I racing. Rig, Tommy but, Joe's not that um, big time yet. I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I've never really, uh, no one's ever brought it up to me to be there. So I was like, oh, I mean, I guess not, you know, uh, Austin for sure. You know, Austin has been to a lot of these tracks, uh, and he chooses, where I race too. So he, so he chooses where he thinks that I, I would perform the best. Um, on, on top of that, you know, Tommy Joe, uh, Ryan Ellis, you know, Spencer Boyd, a bunch of, you know, of these drivers that, you know, have been in the seat, they understand these tracks. Um, and then on top of that, you know, driver refined with Joey Colder, you know, he's my driving coach. So he really helps me out a lot as well. Gotcha. All right. Well, Handicap this weekend for us, going to America's Heartland, Kansas Speedway. It's fast. It's multi-grooves, the Xfinity Series. If that finish is anything like what we saw at Darlington, oh boy, we're going to be in for a good show. How do you approach this race? How do you and Alpha Prime Racing attack the racetrack and attack the event itself? You know, with uh, with us being a small team and also uh, and also being with me being a rookie, uh we attack it more of hey let's go out there and let's learn for the first um for the first you know stage then we'll then we'll you know amp it up and we're gonna get faster and faster and faster you know we'll make adjustments on the car and then we'll go racing i mean uh after the first stage is just go racing just learn the just learn the track first so basically you know i get 20 minutes of practice and then my first stage is practice just around other cars right and I mean, if, if I feel hooked up there, you know, I can race someone. Um, so that's how we more, uh, that's how I'm at least approaching it. And I've talked to Tommy Joe about it. You know, I've talked to Austin about it. You know, I've talked to a bunch of people and, and they all, and we all agree that the first stage go out there and learn. And if we're super fast, yeah, go out there and race, but you know, let, let's make smart moves. Let's finish the race and, um, and just let it come to us. So you said, you know, you got your first top 20 in NASCAR. Check that box. That's a big deal. Do you set expectations for yourself or team-wise? Do you guys have specific expectations or does it kind of vary week to week? Like this weekend at Kansas, are you going to go in with an expectation or is it going to kind of just fluctuate depending on how the weekend goes? You know, we, we always have certain expectations and, and ours is to qualify in, into the race, top 25 uh, finish and, and, and just finish the race. Those are our main components. Now, if, if we get a top 20, that's great. If we get a top 15, that's even better. So, I, I mean, you know, it, and it just keeps going. I mean, if we got top top 10, I mean, hell yeah, we're drinking beer afterwards. You know, it, it's, it's just, it, it just keeps going. So, you know, uh, it, it's it's one of those deals to where, you know, we're, we're happy with anything, but the, the main thing is to get laps, get get seat time, and just make sure that that we that we know what we can do for our next race, which is Talladega, which is a wild card right race. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a wild card race. So, uh, I mean, we, we we can we can go out there and win that one if if we if we can last to the end. So that's that's just how we kind of that's our weekends. We just we have expectations, but we don't set the bar super high. Like we're not going out there expecting a top ten, top five. Right. Right. So 
in the future, Howie, I know that Austin probably has a timeline set up for you to run full Xfinity, maybe have some uh, go into a better team, get some more resources. Eventually, I'm sure your goal is to get to the Cup Series. Can you tell the fans what those goals specifically are, if they are to reach the top level of NASCAR, if you have a timeline of doing that, and your pitch to some owners that may be listening? Say, why, the, why should I put HD3 in my car? Tell the owners why they should hire you, my friend. Well, for sure. Well, I, I really want to talk to Denny Hamlin because, you know, well, uh, Chesterfield boys. So, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, let's help each other out right there. But, um, That's right, you yeah. know, I don't really think that we necessarily have a timeline. Um, you know, we, we would we would love to run for Xfinity, but if the resources are right. Um and that's the hardest part right there is, is, is to get the resources to, to run full, full time. And, and like I said, you know, uh, I don't really come from family money. I have to find it all myself. So, um, it, it makes my job even, even harder, but it's more rewarding afterwards. So, um, I want to, I wouldn't say, you know, I want to be against running a, a cup, a cup, you know, car next year, uh, for a race. I want to be, you know, surprised if we do something not this upcoming year, but the year after, uh, we could, we could definitely make something happen. But, uh, I mean, for, for secret wise, I, I really don't have any secrets. It's just more of, you know, we would love to run Xfinity full time. And if we could get a, if, you know, a partner said, Hey, you know, let's, let's go cup race at, at, at Richmond. I mean, I, I'm not going to turn that down. So, uh, we, we would definitely love to, to be in the cup series full, full time. But, you know, we want to learn as much as possible in the Xfinity series right now. No rush, low and slow, going to take it as it comes. And you're just going to do whatever Austin Terrio says, right? That's right. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. He's like, good answer. Howie. Good answer. Listen, <laughs> um, For sure. He, he's I, always there. Oh, always, always there. And even when he's not, he's listening. He's always somewhere. Oh yeah. That's right. <laughs> Well, listen, I so appreciate your time here today. I know it's a busy week for you. It's a big week for you. I got I got to learn a lot about you. I'm sure the fans did as well. And I really appreciate you opening up and your honesty, your candor, and, and reflecting with me. It was a blast getting to chat with you. And we'll all be rooting for you this weekend at Kansas. Go put it in the show, learn in the first stage, and go from there, my friend. We'll be watching. Well, I certainly appreciate it. And thank you for having me on here. And we're back. Great chat with Howie, huh? Looking forward to seeing what he's got up his sleeve this weekend at Kansas and for the rest of the year, wherever he may be racing, be it in NASCAR or locally anywhere else. And next year as well, I'm sure that Austin Terrio is going to be working hard behind the scenes for him to try to get him behind the wheel more. So big thank you to Howie for your time. Really, really appreciate it, my friend. And thank you to Caleb Whistler for helping coordinate the conversation. Caleb and I go way back. So it was good to chat with Caleb in setting up this conversation for sure. All right. The playoffs are here. Race one is done. I haven't gotten a chance to talk to you guys about it because I've been in France. And then when I came back, it was pretty much hammer down, getting back into the swing of things and didn't really have time to crank out an episode. But I hope you guys enjoyed those clips that I shared on social media from the Alex Hayden episode about a month ago. Still cannot get over the fact that this man literally flew round trip to Alaska in a day to get diamond. But hey, He did what he had to do, and he was successful, so good for you, Alex. But real quick, I'll tell you about France. It was great. Bread is phenomenal. Uh, The people are not as snobby as movies in Hollywood portray them to be. Beautiful scenery. Uh, Took a river cruise along the Seine River with my wonderful girlfriend, Robin. 
with my parents and my grandparents. That was fun. We all did not kill each other. Um, and even though a couple people got the cocoa on arrival back in the States, we're all chilling. We're doing well. And I had a great time in France. Had a nice time away. But I still, I still did watch Richmond and Watkins Glen as much as I could. I will admit I did fall asleep during the Watkins Glen race because it was like two in the morning in Paris and I woke up and Twitter was going crazy because Larson wrecked Elliott and that feels like so long ago. But I did watch the Richmond race where Kevin Harvick wound up a winner. I did watch most of Watkins Glen where Kyle Larson wound up a winner and the playoff field is officially set from Daytona International Speedway. Got home that day where it was supposed to race. And then the rain postponed it to Sunday. Watched that race with Austin Dillon winning it. Crazy, crazy circumstances around multiple wrecks, especially the one where it was raining. But we're not going to get into that now. I'm actually Team NASCAR on that. I think that they were kind of in between a rock and a hard place. But that's neither here nor there. But the playoff field is, in fact, set. And now one race into the postseason. Oh, boy. We got a lot of stuff going on, don't we? Harvick's on fire. Kyle Busch's engine expires. Kyle Larson's engine almost expired. Chase Elliott, an uncharacteristic mistake into the wall. Willie B, was he having an engine problem? Well, apparently not, but he thought he was. Ross Chastain and Daniel Suarez, uncharacteristically bad days for track house racing. Some self-inflicted, some not. So much moving and shaking and jockeying for position on the racetrack. And throughout that race to kick off the postseason, I feel like there was so much going on that it was probably easier to keep track of who was not having an issue during that race. But it winds up being Eric Jones. Grant Paulson, 106.7 The Fan, Sirius XM, my boy, I know you're listening. Congrats to you because that Jones boy really did that. He opened a can of whoop ass on the field towards the end. I thought Denny was going to get him. The Darlington master, Denny Hamlin. He's got 20 laps to run down a petty GMS car. No problem. Well, Eric Jones, a wheelman of himself. His second Southern 500 win. That is crazy. There's some people that are in the Hall of Fame that do not have a single Southern 500 win. This man's got two. He's won four races in his career, and two of them have come in one of, if not the hardest race that is agreed upon mostly by all drivers. Eric Jones, the damn wheelman. Grant Paulson, I know you know that. Eric Jones, he never lost faith in himself. Joey Cohen, Dave Ellens, Maury Gallagher, Mike Beam, everybody at Petty GMS Motorsports that runs the operation over there and on that 43 team, this is a big deal. It's a really big deal. And it, quite frankly, is unprecedented because this is the first time since the playoffs were introduced back in 2004 18 years, if my math's correct, that a non-playoff driver has won the playoff opener. Eric Jones is in the history books, my friends. Nobody has ever done that until this year. So congrats to Eric Jones. I have to say, I did not see that one coming. I knew that he was going to be on the short list for some potential underdogs, but this is a big-time underdog. This does not happen in the playoffs. This does not happen... At Darlington, This does not happen when you beat three Joe Gibbs racing cars towards the end, even though I know two of them ha- fell out because of engine woes. But congratulations to Eric Jones and the 43 team, man. They went out there. They earned it. 
And I know that the finish wasn't necessarily as jaw-dropping as the Xfinity race on Saturday, but it was pretty damn close. I enjoyed it. And as you heard me talk with Howie, we head to Kansas Speedway this weekend. Kansas is one of those racetracks that on the surface and on paper, you're like, eh, okay, you know, Kansas, whatever, it'll be fine. But in recent years and recent races, it has really, really delivered. And we know that the next-gen car and intermediate mile-and-a-half racetracks go together like peanut butter and jelly, like peas and carrots, like fluffernutter and I don't know what goes in a fluffernutter, peanut butter. I don't know. I already said peanut butter and jelly. But the point is, this race is going to be good. I have high expectations and high hopes for it because mile-and-a-half racetracks, Kansas Speedway, the next-gen car, the playoffs, the intensity ratcheted up. I'm on a 10 for this one, baby. I'm ready to rock, and I hope you are too. That'll wrap things up for episode 160. We're in the 160s, people, of Victory Lane 2.0. Do me a favor. If you like what you heard here today, please, please, please. I know it's been about a month. I haven't asked you, but I'm asking you now. Leave a rating and a review on iTunes. You can subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. It should be available on all players. And if it's not, drop me a line. I'll try to rectify that issue for you. We'll be back next week with another guest from the world of motorsports and hopefully with a lot to chat about. Thank you guys once again for listening. We will catch you next week on the flip side. Be good, party people.